Chapter Twenty Three of the Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter Twenty Three The Ice Breaks Away. It was not yet eight o'clock. I was restless in my mind, under a great surprise, and was not sleepy. I filled a pipe, made me a little pannikin of punch, and sat down before the fire to think. If ever I had suspected the accuracy of my conjecture, that the Frenchman's sudden astonishing indisposition was the effect of his extreme age coming upon him, and breaking down the artificial vitality with which he had bristled into life under my hands, I must have found fifty signs to set my misgivings at rest in his drowsiness, nodding, bowed form, weakness, his tottering and trembling, and other features of his latest behavior. If I was right, then I had reason to be thankful to Almighty God for this unparalleled and most happy dispensation for now I should have nothing to fear from the old rogue's vindictiveness and horrid greed. Supposing him to be no more than a hundred, the infirmities of five-score years would stand between him and me, and protect me as effectually as his death. I had nothing to dread from a man who could scarce stand, whose palsied hand could scarce clasp a knife, whose evil tongue could scarce articulate the terrors of his soul, or the horrors of his recollection. The wonder of it all was so great it filled me with admiration and astonishment. Had he been dead and come to life again as Lazarus, or one of those bodies which arose during the time our Lord hung upon the cross, then questionless he must have picked up the chain of his life at the link which death had broken, and continued his natural walk into age and decay though interrupted by a thousand years of the sepulchre, as if his life had been without this black hiatus, and he was proceeding steadily and humanly from the cradle. But collecting that the vital spark could never have been extinguished in him, I understood that time, which has absolute control over life, still knew him as its prey during all those forty-eight years in which he had lain frozen that it had seized him now and suddenly, and pinned upon his back the full burden of his lustres. This is to say, I believed, but the morrow, of course, would give me further proof. Well, t'was a happy and gracious deliverance for me. He could do me no hurt, the scythe had sheared his talons, and all without occasioning my conscience the least uneasiness whatever, whereas, but for this interposition— I did truly and solemnly believe that it must have come to my having had to slay him that I might preserve my own life. Thus I sat for an hour smoking and wetting my lips with the punch, whilst the fire burned low, so exulting in the thought of my escape from the treacherous villain I had recovered from the grave, and in the feeling that I might now be able to go to rest to move here and there, to act as I pleased without being haunted and terrified by the shadow of his foul intent, 
that i hardly gave my mind for a moment to the situation of the schooner nor to the barren consequences of my fine scheme of mines the wind blew strong i could hear the humming of it in every fibre of the vessel the bed on which she rested trembled to the blows of the seas upon the rocks from time to time in the midst of my musing i started to the sharp claps of parted ice still feeling sleepless i threw a few coals on the fire and catching sight of the pirate flag opened it on the deck as wide as the space would permit and sat down to contemplate the hideous insignia embroidered on it my mind filled with a hundred fancies as my gaze went from the skull on the black field to the death's head pipe that had fallen from the grasp of tassard and lay on the deck and i was sitting lost in a deep dreamlike contemplation when i was startled and shocked into instantaneous activity by a blast of noise louder than any thunderclap that i had ever heard ringing and booming through the schooner this was followed by a second and then a third at intervals during which you might have counted ten and i became sensible of a strange sickening motion which lasted about twenty or thirty moments such as might be experienced by one swiftly descending in a balloon or in falling from a height whilst pent up in a coach for a little while the schooner heeled over so violently that the benches and all things movable in the cook-room slided as far as they could go and i heard a great clatter and commotion among the freight in the hold she then came upright again and simultaneously with this a vast mass of water tumbled on to the deck and washed over my head and then fell another and then another all in such a way as to make me know that the ice had broken and slipped the schooner close to the ocean where she lay exposed to its surges but not free of the ice for she did not toss or roll i seized the lanthorn and sprang to the cabin where i hung it up and mounted the companion steps but as i put my hand to the door to thrust it open a sea broke over the side and filled the decks bubbling and thundering past the companion hatch in such a way as to advise me that i need but open the door to drown the cabin i waited my heart beating very hard mad to see what had happened but not daring to trust myself on deck lest i should be immediately swept into the sea twas the most terrible time i had yet lived through in this experience to every blow of the billows the schooner trembled fearfully the crackling noises of the ice was as though i was in the thick of a heavy action the full weight of the wind seemed to be upon the ship and the screeching of it in the iron-like shrouds pierced to my ear through the hissing and tearing sounds of the water washing along the decks and the volcanic notes of the surges breaking over the vessel i say to hear all this and not be able to see to be ignorant of the situation of the schooner not to know from one second to another whether she would not be crushed up and crumbled into staves or be hurled off her bed and be pounded to fragments upon the ice rocks by the seas or be dashed by the canyonading of the surge into the water and turned bottom up made this time out 
and a way more terrible than the collision between the laughing Mary and the iceberg. I drew my breath with difficulty and stood upon the companion ladder, hearkening with straining ears, my hand upon the door. I was now sensible of a long-drawn, stately, solemn kind of heaving motion in the schooner, which I put down to the rolling of the ice on which she rested, and this convinced me that the mass in whose hollow she had been fixed had broken away and was afloat and riding upon the swell that underran the billows. But I was far too much alarmed to feel any of those transports in which I must have indulged had this issue to my scheme happened in daylight and in smooth water. I was terrified by the apprehensions which had occurred to me, even whilst I was at work on the mines. I mean that if the bed broke away, the schooner would make it top-heavy, and that it would capsize, and thus I stood in a very agony of expectancy, caged like a rat, and as helpless as the dead. Half an hour must have passed, during which time the decks were incessantly swept by the seas, insomuch that I never once durst open the door even to look out. But nothing having happened to increase my consternation in this half hour, though the movement in the schooner was that of a very ponderous and majestical rolling and heaving, showing her bed to be afloat, I began to find my spirits and to listen and wait with some buddings of hope and confidence. At the expiration of this time the seas began to fall less heavily and regularly on to the deck, and presently I could only hear them breaking forward, but without a quarter their former weight, and nothing worse came aft than large, brisk showers of spray. I armed myself with additional clothing for the encounter of the wet, cold, and wind, and then pushed open the door and stepped forth. The sky was dark with rolling clouds, but the ice put its own light into the air, and I could see as plain as if the first of the dawn had broken. It was, as I had supposed, the mass of the valley in which the schooner had been sepulchred for eight and forty years, had come away from the main, and lay floating within a cable's length of the coast. A stranger, wonderfuller picture, human eye, never beheld. The island shore ran a rampart of faintness along the darkness to where it died out in liquid dusk to right and left. The schooner sat upon a bed of ice that showed a surface of about half an acre. Her stern was close to the sea and about six feet above it. On her larboard quarter the slope or shoulder of the acclivity had been broken by the rupture and you looked over the side into the clear sea beyond the limit of the ice there. But abreast of the fore shrouds, the ice rose in a kind of wall, a great splinter it looked of what was before a small, broad-browed hill, and the wind or the sea having caused the body on which the schooner lay to veer, this wall stood as a shield betwixt the vessel and the surges, and was now receiving those blows which had herefore too struck her starboard side amidships and filled her decks. Oh, for a wizard's inkhorn, that I might make you see the picture as I view it now, even with the eye of memory. The posture of the little berg pointed the schooner's head seawards, about west. 
the ice terraces of the island lay with the wild strange gleam of their own snow radiance upon them upon the larboard quarter around the schooner was the whiteness of her frozen seat and her outline was an inky exquisitely defined configuration upon it above the crystal wall on the larboard bow rose the spume of the breaking surge in pallid bodies glancing for an instant and sometimes shaking a thunder into the ship when a portion of the seething water was flung by the wind upon the forecastle deck at moments a larger sea than usual overran the ice on the larboard beam and quarter and boiled up around the buttocks of the schooner to leeward the smooth backs of the billows rolled away in jet but the fitful throbbings and feeble flashings of froth commingled with the dim shine of the ice were over all tincturing the darkness with a spectral sheen giving to everything a quality of unearthliness that was sharpened yet by the sounds of the wind in the gloom on high and the hissing and foaming of waters sending their leagues distant voices to the ear upon the wings of the icy blast the wind as i have said blew from the southwest but the trend of the island coast was northeast and as the mass of ice i was upon in parting from the main had floated to a cable's length from the cliffs there was not much danger whilst the wind and sea held of the berg if i may so term it being thrown upon the island that the ice under the schooner was moving and if so at what rate it was too dark to enable me to know by observing the marks on the coast there was to be no sleep for me that night and knowing this i stepped below and built up a good fire and then went with the lanthorn to see how tassard did and to give him the news but he was in so deep a sleep that after pulling him a little without awakening him i let him lie nothing but the sound of his breathing persuading me that he had not lapsed into his old frozen state again of all long nights this was the longest i ever passed through i did truly believe that the day was never to break again over the ocean i must have gone from the fire to the deck thirty or forty times the schooner continued upright i had no fear of her oversetting she sat very low and the ice also showed but a small head above the water and as the body of it lay pretty flat then even supposing its submerged bulk was small there was little chance of its capsizing i also noticed that we were setting seawards that is to say to the westward by a noticeable shrinking of the pallid coast but i could never stay long enough above to observe with any kind of narrowness the wind being full of the wet that was flung over the ice wall and the cold unendurable all night i kept the fire going and on several occasions visited the frenchman but found him motionless in sleep i kept too good a lookout to apprehend any sudden calamity short of capsizal which i no longer feared and during the watches of that long night i dreamt a hundred waking dreams of my deliverance of my share of the treasure of my arriving in england 
quitting the sea forever, and setting up as a great squire, marrying a nobleman's daughter, driving in a fine coach, and ending with a seat in Parliament and a stout, well-sounding handle to my name. At last the day broke. I went on deck and found the dawn brightening into morning. The wind had fallen, and with it the sea, but there still ran a middling strong surge, and the breeze was such as, in sailor's language, you would have shown your top-gallant sails to. I could now take measure of our situation, and was not a little astonished and delighted to observe the island to be at least a mile distant from us, and the northeast end lying very plain, the ocean showing beyond it, though in the southwest the ice died out upon the sea-line. That we had been set away from the main by some current was very certain. There was a westerly tendency in all the bergs which broke from the island, the small ones moving more quickly than the large, for the sea in the north and west was dotted with at least fifty of these white masses, great and little. On the other hand, the wind and seas were answerable for the progress we had made to the north. The wall of ice, as I call it, that had stood over against the larboard bow was gone, and the seas tumbled with some heaviness of froth and much noise over the ice past the bows and washed past the bends on either side in froth rising as high as the channels i noticed a great quantity of broken ice sinking and rising in the dark green curls of the billows and big blocks would be hurled on to the schooner's bed and then be swept off sometimes fetching the bilge such a thump as seemed to swing a bellow through her frame. It was only at intervals, however, that water fell upon the decks, for the ice broke the beat of the moderating surge and forced it to expend its weight in spume, which there was not strength of wind enough to raise and heave. Since the vessel continued to lie head to sea, my passionate hope was that these repeated washings of the waves would in time loosen the ice about her keel, in which case it would not need much of a billow, smiting her full bows fair, to slide her clean down and off her bed, and so launch her. There were many clouds in the heavens, but the blue was very pure between. The morning brightening with the rising of the sun, I directed an earnest gaze along the horizon, but there was nothing to see but ice. Some of the bergs, however, and more particularly the distant ones, stole out of the blue atmosphere to the sunshine with so complete a resemblance to the lifting canvas of ships that I would catch myself staring fixedly, my heart beating fast. But there was no dejection in these disappointments. The ecstasy that filled me on beholding the terrible island, the hideous frozen prison whose crystal bars I had again and again believed were never to be broken, now lying at a distance with its northern cape imperceptibly opening to our subtle movement, was so violent that I could not have found my voice for the tears in my heart. This, then, was the result of my scheme. It was no failure, as Tassard had said, as he owed his life to me, so now did he owe me his liberty." nay my transports were so great that i would not suffer myself to feel an instant's anxiety touching the condition of the schooner 
I mean, whether she would leak or prove sound when she floated, and how we two men were to manage to navigate so large a craft that was still as much spellbound aloft in her frozen canvas and tackle as ever she had been in the sepulchre in which I discovered her. I went below and put the provisions we needed for breakfast into the oven and entered Tassard's cabin. On bringing the lanthorn to his face, as he lay under half a score of coats upon the deck, I perceived that he was awake, and my heart being full, I cried out cheerily, "'Good news! Good news! The gunpowder did its work. The ice is ruptured, and we are afloat, Mr. Tassard, afloat and progressing north.' He looked at me vacantly, and giving his head a shake, exclaimed, how can i crawl from this mound my strength is gone if i was amazed that the joyful intelligence i had delivered produced no other response than this querulous inquiry i was far more astonished by the sound of his voice it was the most cracked and venerable pipe that ever tickled the throat of old age a mingling of wailing falsettos and of hollow gasping growls the whole very weak i threw the clothes off him and said do you wish to rise i will bring your breakfast here if you wish he looked at me but made no answer i bawled again and observed by the dim lanthorn light that he watched my lips with an air of attention and whilst i waited for his reply he said i don't hear you anxious to ascertain to what extent his hearing was impaired i kneeled on the deck and putting my lips to his ears said not very loud will you come to the cook-house which he did not hear and then louder will you come to the cook-house which he did not hear either i believed him stone deaf till on roaring with all the power of my lungs he answered yes I took him by the hands and hauled him gently on to his feet, and had to continue holding him or he must have fallen. Time was beginning with him when he had gone to bed, and the remorseless old soldier had completely finished his work whilst his victim slept. I viewed the Frenchman whilst I grasped his hands, and there stood before me a shrunk, tottering, deaf, bowed, feeble old man what was yesterday a polished head was now a shriveled pate as though the very skull had shrunk and left the skin to ripple into wrinkles and sit loose and puckered his hands trembled excessively but his lower jaw was held in its place by his teeth and this perpetuated in the aged dwindled countenance something of the likeness of the fierce and sinister visage that had confronted me yesterday I was thunderstruck by the alteration, and stood overwhelmed with awe, confusion, and alarm. Then, recollecting my spirits, I supported the miserable relic to the fire, putting his bench to the dresser that he might have a back to lean against. He could scarce feed himself. Indeed, he could hardly hold his chin off his breast. He had gone to bed a man, as I might take it, of fifty-six, and during the night the angel of time had visited him, and there he sat, a hundred and three years of age. He looked it. Ha! thought I, I was dreading your treachery yesterday. There is nothing more to fear. 
besides that he was nearly stone deaf he could hardly see and i was sure if he should be able to move at all he could not stir a leg without the help of sticks i was going to roar out to him that we were adrift but he looked so imbecile that i thought to what purpose if there be aught of memory in him let him sit and chew the cud thereof he cannot last long the cold must soon stop his heart and with that i went on eating my breakfast in silence but greatly affected by this astonishing mark of the hand of providence and under a very heavy and constant sense of awe for the like of such a transformation i am sure had never before encountered mortal eyes and it was terrifying to be alone with it end of chapter twenty three recording by barbara dirksen